welcome everybody to the Like David Project. Uh, today is our 10th show, I believe. So we've really uh, been getting in the groove. Actually, <laughs> this this today's show is actually, we had a kind of technical error. So with the volume, we're trying to adjust the volume. A lot of people have been um, giving us uh, advice to fix the levels. And so like mid-show, we tried to fix it. And so half the show is quiet, half the show is loud. I apologize, and I tried to fix it the best I can. It's not gonna blow your speakers out or anything, but um, you will notice a little difference and just chuckle. And it's, that's our way of saying we we don't do this for a living. <laughs> um, but uh, we did talk about something pretty I thought was interesting today. Uh, we talked about what are the first things that happen to what are people. Well, let me how do I word this better? What happens? right after you die not physically but spiritually what do people experience when they have near-death experiences and what do what's a common ground as far as a white light or and i know it's kind of a morbid conversation and we end up talking about cremation or or and is that a okay thing to do and so we, we today was kind of a somber day but it was a good conversation and something that we enjoyed talking about and people enjoy listening about um every once in a while so i hope you enjoy the show and we will talk to you next week thanks bye not for a long time i I really like time like i've been really i think that's where i find most of my scientific articles and whatnot but they always lead me to something else they never go deep enough but there is an article in time Magazine from 2008, What Happens When We Die. Um, and it was kind of a Q&A with um, a guy, a doctor from Cornell Medical Center. And it was just really interesting because they're talking about near-death experiences. Mo- mo- most importantly, there was a study done, a three-year ex- exploration of the biology behind out-of-body experiences when you die. Um Let's see, 1,500 people were looked at or observed, and it just, and they asked just a couple of questions to the doctor in charge of the entire thing, and it was just kind of interesting how, as a Christian reading it, or as someone who believes in the bigger picture, and that there is more after you die, it's like all, (laughs) everything points towards that. Everything points towards something happens when you die. Um, let's see here. Just to read some of these questions. Uh, the author asks, what sort of methods will this project, project use to try and verify people's claims of near-death experience? When your heart stops beating, there is no blood getting to your brain. And so what happens is that within about 10 seconds, brain activity ceases, as you would imagine. Yet, paradoxically, 10% or 20% of people who are brought back to life from that period, which may be a few minutes or even an hour, will report having consciousness. So, the key thing here is, are these real or is this some sort of illusion? So, the only way to tell is to have pictures only visible from the ceiling and nowhere else because they claim they can see everything from the ceiling. So, if we get a series of 200 or 300 people who we're all clinically dead, and yet they're able to come back and tell us what we're doing, and we're able to see those pictures. That confirmed consciousness really was continuing, even though the brain wasn't functioning. 
Um, there's another question that was pretty interesting. What was your first interview like with someone who had reported an out-of-body experience? That was the question to the doctor. Eye-opening and very humbling because what you see is that, first of all, they are completely genuine. People who are not looking for any kind of fame or attention, in most cases, they haven't even told anybody else about it because they're afraid of what people may think of them. I have about, <clears throat> I have about 500 or so cases of people that I've interviewed since I first started out more than 10 years ago. It is the consistency of the experiences, the reality of what they're de they were describing. I managed to speak to doctors and nurses who had been present who said these patients had told them exactly what had happened and they couldn't explain it. I actually documented a few of those in my book, What Happens When We Die, because I wanted people to get both ang angles, not just patients' side, but also the doctor's side and see how it feels for doctors to have a patient come back and tell them what's going on. There was a cardiologist that I spoke with who said he hasn't told anyone else about it because he has no explanation for how the patient could have been able to describe in detail what he had said and done. He was so freaked out about it, he just decided to not think about it anymore. I don't know, I just thought it was really interesting that Time, especially Time Magazine, who generally isn't a pro big picture Christian magazine, they usually wouldn't go on the side of, of anything other than atheism, um, are kind of subliminally pointing to there is consciousness after death. And I think it's really interesting. That's why I wanted to bring it up and talk about it. And to have a guy say 500 people, a doctor for Cornell say he's talked to 500 people or more that are described consciousness after death and it's been studied by doctors. That's pretty amazing to me. I don't know. Pretty astounding. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, my guess might be, though, that they're trying to look for some kind of physical explanation for the process. Some kind of, of rationale to explain away why people get these visions of things or why they appear to have consciousness even after death. But it might, they might be, in doing that, they might be overlooking the simple truth that people experience things. Maybe, you know, that old scientific standard of the simplest explanation is, is really the, the right explanation. And the simplest explanation would be that this life is not all that we have and that there is a life after death. So most people have believed for thousands of years um, the fact that it's old doesn't mean, mean that it has to be old-fashioned or archaic. It just means it's been supported and, and uh, um, evidenced in people's lives over and over again over the years. And so they hold fast to that, that belief. I have an interesting question in response to that. Someone's asked me this before. Um, should a Christian be buried after death or should they be cream or is it okay for this is really the question that was asked is it okay for a christian to be cremated when isn't burial a better option i know it's been controversial i know, i remember being a kid and hearing certain family members saying don't cremate me <clears throat> mm -hmm. isn't the reason that uh the reason for people 
the argument for people saying, I don't want to be cremated, I want to be buried in a casket from on the last day, the Bible talk about on the last day that people will come out of their graves at the final resurrection. And it seems like that's the reason. Isn't that the reasoning behind it? Yes, I think so. so that because I want my my body to you know, because I'm gonna receive a glorified body and therefore I want this to come out. And that seems to be the reasoning. And I'll I'll just put out there right away that I actually believe in um Cremation. Uh, my father and mother both passed, and they were both cremated. My desire, my wife Elizabeth's desire, is cremation. And part of the reason is that if you know to, we return to dust, to me, cremation is just a faster, accelerated process of returning to dust. Like I, my personal belief is. When I because of because my life belief I'll get to death belief in a second but my life belief is I am a spirit I have a soul and I live in a body my body is just a space suit and the older I get the more I realize how much it slows me down but I'm I'm not my body I'm I'm the I'm the spirit inside of the body so at the point of death. I, I believe that to die here is to be present with the Lord and I believe that your spirit goes immediately into the presence of God so therefore there's nothing happening in my body it's just an empty space suit that I've lived in it's a container it's the husk of the seed so to speak uh, of which I lived in and so anything can really happen to it so there's there's no need to have really, really elaborate and expensive funeral services with uh, rosewood caskets. And I don't mean to, I hope I don't offend anybody who has gone through this, but it's become, here's my little cynical side, it's become such a uh, money maker. Death has become such a money maker. I didn't live my life that way. I shouldn't live my death that way either. It shouldn't be a super expensive uh, situation for someone to have to deal with on top of grieving at the loss of their child. So everybody has to make their own decisions, but uh, I like cremation because I'm returning to death and if I'm the last day at the final resurrection, you know, uh, those who are still living or caught up to be with the Lord and and those who uh, died and buried come out of their graves it's just going to be as easy for the creative spirit of God to uh, gather my ashes absolutely you know as you know because guess what that body that's in that casket that's not the glorified body that I'm going to live in I don't think I'm going to look like this in heaven you know uh, you know I I don't think it's going to be a body. I think it's more of a spirit world. I do not think that cremation limits God's ability, yeah. which is, you're right. I think burial comes from a tradition of the body dying, and it's almost symbolic of that future resurrection. The body's like set on one side until that day of resurrection. Yeah. But the practicality is that within 
X number of years, the, the body will have disintegrated yeah. into, into the atoms that make it up. And so it's, yeah. it is no different than cremation. Yeah, just slower. Yeah, just slower. It's the same process of returning to dust. Yeah, yeah. I just I threw it out there because I know that that's something that we think of. And John, I know your question is more about you know what happens to us after we die, but that's something that people sometimes struggle with. No, oh, yeah, that's holding on to the the body. That's true. So, do you, what's your preference, John? Cremation or burial? Cremation or burial is there a third option? Uh, living the cryogenically frozen yeah frozen okay. <laughs> video ball yeah. freeze me freeze me baby yeah I don't have a preference yet I haven't made my I've uh, thought about it enough to to make any gosh I'm the only old guy that's thought about it come on <laughs> yeah. that is a good question though I've always wondered that just because I remember it being an issue with somebody in my family. I don't even remember who or what, but I remember somebody having an issue with it a long time ago and telling me, oh, you got to be not cremated. But I never understood why. I don't know why somebody would tell me that when I'm young. But Yeah. <laughs> Another thing you'll hear, too, is that cremation is, a, is an Eastern tradition. Not a Western tradition. Yeah, I've heard that. Like, let's not bring those ideas in. But I always counter that saying, hey, Christianity was an Eastern tradition. (laughs) Not a Western tradition. Was Jesus a Western man or an Eastern man? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's an open-ended debate. It's certainly not one of those things that we have to draw hard and fast lines upon. Because God is able. The Aramaic writings of the Bible from the scrolls. Eastern or Western? I think society's moved away from sweating small stuff like that. Because I haven't heard that argument in a long time. But that may just be my circle, so I don't know. Maybe. So. Well, being involved in church work, it'll come up more often for you. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, already you've been involved in quite a few memorial services. And those questions do come up. And yeah, it's important for when people come to you for counsel and advice, because if we're called to the ministry, our time and advice are our stock and trade in life. Yeah. It's helpful to kind of know, be able to speak to it. And John, you brought up a couple of weeks ago how we can agree a lot on the middle of the process, but it's the beginning and the end that people tend to argue about the most. Yep. So it is one of those things that, that we, we look at. I was comparing notes with somebody the other day, very similar to me theologically and you know in our day-to-day approach of how we view God and God at work in this world, but we differed greatly on how we considered the beginning to have taken place and what we consider the end to be. Mm. It's interesting. The Genesis and the Revelation. The Genesis the book and the Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. The bookends of the Bible. Yeah. yeah. They're the ones that cause the most debate. In fact, I, I would love to talk about what happens to us after we die in a purely speculative sense right now because we really, we can't be definitive because the more we try and prove ourselves and draw hard and fast lines, I think the more dangerous ground we're on. Yeah, but yeah. in a speculative sense, what, what do you think happens to us after we die? And I, but I think it's, it's okay to, to 
talk about it and study it. And I think it's human nature for them to do clinical trials and try to figure out why. Of course, we, I mean, you can't. Do you think it's bad for scientists to try to figure out what happens after we die? Or no. 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 That's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. That it's an okay thing to look at and study. But you're right, drawing a hard, fast line on something that maybe theory or we don't know or cannot understand, um, Yeah, that could be dangerous. Well, there's lots of beneficial reasons from a scientific pur- purpose to look at the decay of the human body. Mm-hmm. Because part of the motive is to understand the decay process better so that, that we might implement some medicinal measures to perhaps delay it or counteract it. I, I, can, I can understand that. And Bible teaches us to choose life. So I, don't, I have no problem with people that, that are attempting, uh, you know, in, in medicine to improve the quality of, of human life. I think that's a very godly thing to be involved in. And part of that process would necessarily involve, I think, an understanding of death better. Here's a kind of a controversial question. I just saw this whole documentary about this, about technology getting so far to the point that we're keeping people on life support and crowding our hospitals for people that are pretty much would go in any other means or any other way. They would pass away, but families are keeping them on life support for years. And it costing tons of money, tons of time, and holding on to a hope. So, do you think it's should we let where is there a line that's going to cross with technology of keeping people alive? I know that's really controversial. I'm like, do not rest the DNR, and, but it was a documentary, so yeah, yeah. Well, experientially, I, I know that. Uh, I have DNR, do not resuscitate, orders at the hospitals that I've stayed at, and it's something that we take care of. If, you know, if I'm going in for a surgery or something like that, because uh, I want, uh, I do not want to be resuscitated. I do not want to live on life support. Uh, I have the unfortunate <clears throat> situation of having to let my father go because he was on a ventilator uh, but he had reached that place where he wasn't going to live mm-hmm. and uh, they assured me that he couldn't live except for being on the ventilator because uh, he had developed this really bad pneumonia from a hospital based infection and uh, I knew he, I could tell I, we were, as we were close I knew he wanted to go so I had to sign the papers to take him mm. off the ventilator. But then he was released to hospice care and set up in a hospice and I was able to be with him uh, for the very final moments of his life. And so uh, I think a lot of people are getting hip to the idea that they can sign these waivers at hospitals to not be resuscitated or not be put on life support because I think most people have realized uh, there's no sense in that. As Christians, we know that to each one of us has been appointed a time and that when our number comes up, as some say it, or when our time has come to be with the Lord, those our days are numbered 
by God. And it's like, you know, because he loves us and cares about us, then I don't want to prolong that scientifically or any other way. When it's, when it's my time, I want to, you know, be released uh, to go. I agree with that, and I think that the Holy Spirit will, will always be, be there to let us know you know, what the right decision is in, in every situation that we yeah. turn to Him. Yeah. And we don't fear death yeah. as, a, as a major obstacle or barrier in our life. It's a, it's a change, huge change. Yeah. <laughs> and it, the greatest fear is really experienced by those that are left behind and feel the sense of loss. But yeah. as individuals, we, we should not fear that, that change that's taking place because God's in, yeah. in control of all of that. You know that our hope is in Him, and our our yeah. our um, eternity is is secure yeah. with Him. Yeah. Um, and we need to plan accordingly. Plan with the same kind of confidence that everything will be okay with God. We know that the breakthroughs in medical technology and stuff have prolonged life in a general way. You know, back during the you know, the Renaissance years and the plagues and, you know, people were living, you know, if you were like 40 years old, you were considered an old man, you know. Right. And uh, modern science and technological breakthroughs, I think, has increased uh, mortality rate. Right? Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting. When you look at, uh, when you're reading the Bible back in the early days, people lived to be you know, 767 years and 938 years. And, you know, they were living really, really long. You know, that was before the, the judgment and the flood and the curse and all that. But it is interesting to know that, you know, is that the biblical standard? Is that what God envisioned? Did God envision that we really would live a long life? That's a long life. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that we have the capacity to live longer. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's wrong for, for science to try and improve that or to, yeah. to figure out ways that there will be, I think that there is a limit to our life that is not, that we can't change. We can't alter it. it uh, you know, it's a tricky area of predestination versus free will. But at the same time, I think that God knows how long we'll live no matter what we try and do in our life. For example, in a silly way, I know somebody that smoked their entire life and has lived to a ripe old age and has remained youthful. And I know people that, that have died younger who have tried to live as healthy as they possibly can and not allow those things in. And it's like, it's almost like what they did was immaterial to how long their, their life seemed to be numbered by something outside of, of all of those things, which, I think the same would be true of medical advances. Um, that they might help in small ways, but I don't know that it's going to alter God's big picture all that much. I think that's a slightly separate issue than should someone stay on life support. That's a, that's a more personal and more involved argument that 
probably has to be taken more on a case-by-case basis. But as a general rule, is it okay to explore these things? And I would would say yes. I would prefer to live in a world where people have a chance to age and to grow old and to experience the fullness of life than in the world as it was 500 years ago Mm -hmm. where you were lucky if you lived to your 40th birthday. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a godly thing yeah. as well. So, <laughs> Well, for the Like David Project, wanting to have a heart for God, how should we view, I mean, if, if our heart is for God and, you know, our podcast is about uh, having a heart for God, then what should our view be of science uh, science in our lives and how do we use science especially when it comes to important things like death and dying that's I think that's a controversial question for Christians yeah. because there's been a just from what I've read science and Christianity that relationship hasn't been the best in the last hundred years or plus. And so, but I think we're coming in a place in our society where Christians are thinking outside the box and looking at things differently. And uh, I think we're progressing. I think that relationship is getting better, the science community and the Christian community. And that, I mean, it's, it's a, a community that overlaps, but you, you know, and there there is the right and the left. But I think it's the overlapping is getting more cohesive and bigger. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but well, there is a there is a tension that exists now between those two communities, but that's a very modern thing. Mm-hmm. If you go back more than 150 years. There is a great cohesion between science and the church. In fact, the church and church leaders who, and at the time the church pretty much controlled the education system, so you can understand why, but but they were involved in developing the natural sciences. And it was no hindrance to that development. The idea that there's somehow some disconnect, I really think is a modern Problem, and I think that people will realize one day that there does not have to be. That a belief in God does not limit your scientific exploration. Or, on the other hand, that scientific exploration somehow undermines our belief in God. It seems silly to me that there has to be that dichotomy of choosing one or the other. Because I don't believe that my faith is irrational. Nor do I believe that logic alone can be enough to to take away my faith. So there has to be a balance. And I think that we're discovering that. um, And I think that as science attempts to answer questions without God, and those answers prove unsatisfying or, or not sufficient, that people will rediscover some kind of uh, fusion between, between science and faith again. I just want to read one more quote. Uh, from the article in Time Magazine, this is again about the, the doctor at Cornell who did a study about what happens when people die. And the interviewer asked, there's obviously controversy in studying something like that. And the interviewer, the final question is, why do you think there's such a 
resistance to studies like yours? And he answers, because we're pushing the boundaries of science, working against assumptions and perceptions that have been fixed. A lot of people hold this idea that, well, when you die, that's it. Death is a moment. You know, you're either dead or alive. All these things are not scientifically valid, but they're social perceptions. If you look back at the end of the 19th century, physicists at the time had been working with Newtonian laws of motion, and they really felt that it had all the answers to everything that was out there in the universe. When we look at the world around us, Newtonian physics is perfectly sufficient. It explains most things that we deal with, but then it was discovered that actually when you look at motion at really small levels, beyond the level of atoms, Newton... Newton's laws no longer apply. A new physics was needed. Hence, we eventually ended up with quantum physics. It caused a lot of controversy. Even Einstein himself didn't believe in it. Now, if you look at the mind, consciousness, and the brain, the assumptions that the mind and brain are the same thing is fine for most circumstances because in 99% of circumstances, we can't separate the mind and brain. They work exactly the same. But then there are certain extreme examples, like when the brain shuts down, that we see that these assumptions no longer hold true. I just thought it was interesting. It goes on and on and on. But I, I thought it was interesting that that's the scientific community. I mean, that I don't want to stereotype or guess, but just from reading the whole article, you can tell that it's a guy who... There's no... I, I think it personally, as a Christian reading it, it points to... Uh, a, someone being with the Lord after they die, but you can tell that the scientist involved, it doesn't, it has no signs of any kind of faith whatsoever. It's just purely looking at the science, but you can tell that there, science is becoming open to an afterlife or a bigger picture or a God or, and I've seen a, more than one, a, a lot of scientists point to that there may be a god or, or trying to explain why things are and they can't. And so that's kind of inspiring as a Christian to, to see scientists kind of fumble with the fact that, hey, we may be wrong. You know, there may be a god. So, Well, yeah, and science is built on the principle of questioning things. Right. And even questioning ingrained beliefs. And I think that there is a, a nobility to that because as soon as you try and be definitive and define exactly how something is, like with Newtonian physics, you say, this is how the universe works. And then you find the exception that doesn't fit. And then suddenly you struggle with all of your preconceived ideas being threatened by a new, this, a new fact. And I think that in the church, there are occasions... Uh, when we become too definitive on what we believe and how we know it, and it ultimately it causes division because when somebody comes along to challenge or when something happens that undermines that strongly held belief, and I'm not talking about the essentials of the faith like that Jesus is Lord. I mean, there's certain things that, that we do hold on to as, as unalterable rules of Christianity. But beyond that, beyond the, and it's a very small number, I would argue, of things that are unalterable. Yeah. Beyond that very small number, the more definitive you are, the more in danger you are of having your, your position undermined by somebody else. Somebody else that sees it differently, that has experienced something that you haven't experienced, or a circumstance that doesn't match 
your idea. I think that life after death is one of those issues. We have very clear preconceived ideas about what happens. And I think that because of that, we might all be surprised by what happens to us or how things look or how things will work out. Yeah. And... And so let's be yeah. careful about about speaking too definitively on, on yeah. subjects. And that very topic has caused division in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, there's denominational splits have taken place over the, the, the rapture. Mm-hmm. And we can't come to some agreement on what the scriptures about the rapture mean. And, and it's ca- it was violent enough that it caused people to move in different directions. And I just wonder at the long-term benefit to the church, the viability to the church of, yeah. of issues like that, yeah. that we become so dogmatic about that we can't even have a discussion with somebody else about it. Yeah. That's true. That's why I wanted to speculate on what happens to us after death. <laughs> I think it's, and that's why I chose the word speculate too, because I think it, it, it is, it is, it's all speculation. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've come to believe very strongly that we focus too much on heaven, for example. Yeah. We, we focus, because if you, if you read the end of Revelation, not like, you know, halfway through and then stop, the end of Revelation talks not about heaven, but about a new earth being created and a merging of heaven and earth. And that's the ultimate goal. That's the final stop, the final resting place. So even though I believe that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven, I don't believe that that is the end of the story. And sometimes we make it all about that, but it's it's really not. Resurrection is the end of the story, that at some point we will be resurrected physically as well as spiritually. So it's one of those things that I think we have become too hard and fast about. I wonder if my life could really change at all All this earth Could all that is lost ever be found Could a garden come up from this ground
you.